about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. Notre Dame beats Navy in a game we all kind of predicted, I think. Line was 21. We covered that with ease. What's next for the Irish? We're going to find out on this podcast. But before we do, I'm going to pass it over to Steve to give a word from our sponsor. Yeah, it is Dwindle. Dwindle Student Debt. Guys, this is a company that is dedicated to finding you a good-paying job. And not only are they going to help you find a good-paying job, also going to help you with finding a job that's going to help you pay down your student loans matching student loan benefits that is the name of the game with dwindle uh, they if you sign up you can sign up for free they're going to allow for you to uh, to get a free resume critique and then they're going to match you with the job uh, that that does offer benefits and if you are already not in school but you're considering it they they also can be used as a resource to help find like tuition assistance tuition reimbursement so Dwindle is all about their entire mission is helping solve the student loan debt crisis. Go there today, dwindlestudentdebt.com. That's dwindle, D-W-I-N-D-L-E, studentdebt.com. Tell them that the Four Horsemen sent you. Let's get our finances in check as we head into the new year. Well said, well said. Um, I I don't like playing Navy. And it's not because I don't get the history or because I don't like the program or anything. It's just that we beat them by four touchdowns and it felt like we didn't play great. Navy has that really weird effect on you where you end up blowing them out. But that game kind of felt pretty close. Um, We struggled offensively for a while, like comically so. Um, Then the offense exploded. Um, I think Jack Cohn has shown when he has a pocket, he can be one of the best passers in the country. And the defense balled. Uh, the defense did get lit up a few times, but for the most part, they really shut down Navy. Um, lots to dissect there, but I don't know how much you can actually take away from the game and apply it long term for the Irish. Because Navy is such a unique program. You don't learn much about, you know, it's not like you're playing the spread offense and you're locking them down, right? You're playing a very unique offense. You're playing a team that's like two and six. So you're supposed to beat them by a lot. Um, and I just, I just don't know what to do with it. You know what I mean? It's like Notre Dame hands us this result here. We beat Navy by a lot. It's like, ah, okay. Uh, thanks for that information. There's nothing I can do with it. Steve, yeah. um, are you a little less pessimistic about just the g- the general game itself? Or, well, or are you kind of feeling it? Um, I mean, I did come out of the game feeling a little bit more optimistic. Um you know, and just because uh, uh, we we played sound, right? Just fundamentally sound. Um, you know, Jack Cohn threw an absolute laser, you know, to, to Kevin Austin, and you know, I saw some people saying that that should have been picked off. I don't think that ball's picked off by anybody. I think a quality safety 
plays the the man, and then he just knocks Kevin Austin out of bounds there after making the catch. I think that's a catch against practically any safety in the in in the world, right? Even against Kyle Hamilton potentially, because he is a f- absolute animal. Um, I just think that the the better play for the safety there, he overcommitted, and and that should have been uh, just a, a catch and you know out of bounds rather than the touchdown. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, all in all, running game played well. Kyron Williams, uh, I mean. We've said it once, said it a million times. The man literally does not get tackled. Like, it's insane. Like, there was that one play early on in the game. He was in a crowd of people on the hash marks, and then the next thing I know, he was, like, four yards behind the line of scrimmage, like, on, on at the sideline. He teleported. He literally just teleports across the field. And I don't know how he does it, but once he's in space, he's impossible. Uh, defensively, it's a weird, funky, you know, system that you got to scheme against and you know they had a couple of reverses here and there but by and large i mean we just plugged the holes and played well you kurt heinish have a day um you know a lot of guys just just playing really good and stepping up so um you know would have wished to put another 14 on the on you know on the scoreboard you know we were shut out in the the first quarter and, and the third quarter um but you know being able to respond being able to come back and also being able to finish strong in that fourth quarter it's all the uh, it's all the markings of and a team that covered as well. It's all the markings of a great football team. So, uh, are, are we going to, you know, if the chips fall, are we going to, you know, go in as the number four seed and and beat Georgia by three touchdowns? Uh, I I don't think you're going to hear that from me. Although I am optimistic about this team, I don't think we're on that level. Uh, but are we? continuing to trend week after week into the right direction after we've already had the teeth of our schedule. Now it's kind of just coasting as we, you know, just hopefully knock on wood, finish 11 and one and head into a new year six bowl game. I think that's, that's kind of where we're at. And um, obviously a good uh, portion that we were, we're a very integral part of, of our finish here is going to be staying healthy. Uh, so that it, it does stink that, we learned today we did lose uh, Brayden, Brayden Lindsay. We lost uh, Avery Davis, sorry, uh, to a torn ACL. So that's, again, one of the things that sucks about playing Navy is it always feels like there's an injury. But, I mean, that's kind of the uh, the general thoughts. Um, so, so just to clarify, uh, Brayden Lindsay is not hurt, correct? Correct. Exactly. Yes. I, I it's missed just him. Avery Davis. Mm-hmm. Yes. Perfect. All right, Steve, um, I want you to tell me what's wrong with me, okay? Hmm. <laughs> And I'll, I won't let that pause hang too long. Um, I've defended, you've defended on the podcast, Jack Cohn. We saw in the numbers early that he is a great passing quarterback when given the opportunity. His problems have been taking sacks and uh, leaving the pocket perhaps a little too early. Over time, we've been proven right, I think, this season. As NDFB Analytics pointed out, in the last three or four games, uh, Jack Cohn is sixth in the country in quarterbacks for for a PFF grade, uh, or eighth, top ten, and starting the season uh, in the 80s. So that kind of goes to what we're showing. The offensive line gets better, Jack Cohn's natural abilities come out, and he's improved Week by week, I think he took a minor step back this week. Um, I think he was better in the previous weeks, but still playing good football. Jack Cohn didn't have his best game, but he played good football. I defended him. You defended him. Uh, We see potential there. We think he's an NFL caliber talent in terms of arm strength and accuracy with negatives, of course. 
but we've defended him as the starting quarterback, correct? That is correct, yep. Okay, then tell me why every time I, I watch Notre Dame football, despite making these defenses on Twitter, I'm really, really, really yearning for Tyler Buckner to play. Yeah, and and I understand that. And I, I also want Tyler Buckner to play. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and if we... At this point, as we're playing inferior teams down the stretch, maybe maybe let's just get by Virginia because they can put up points in a hurry, right? And that you really just want to play your best game against and and everything. And you know, there's uh, there's the clamor out there in in the ether in the Twitter sphere uh, that hey, you know what? You know, let's let's let Cone kind of finish out uh, Virginia and then start you know transitioning to Buckner and and let him get the experience and then you know, we'll see how the chips fall in regards to. Uh, you know, a bowl game. Um, there's there's merit to that. Uh, I, Jack Cohn is excellent. He is very very good. Uh, he, I wish he was a little bit more fleet footed, like like Ian Book. But I mean, can you imagine Ian Book's legs on with Jack, like with the rest of Jack Cohn? Jack Cohn's field vision, his uh, you know his his arm strength, his accuracy. He's he's damn good, man. Um, it, you know, our offense is inherently designed to be a dual threat quarterback, right? And and we don't have that in Jack. Jack's more of a you know you know take three steps back and and fire a BB in there, and he's he's still successful. And and obviously he's proven you know, you're an eight and one football team. Uh, he's he's now propelled himself into one of the top forty quarterbacks in the nation by PFF grade and and by you know statistics and analytics. And he'll probably finish in the top thirty. I think Jack Cohn is an NFL quarterback, so I cannot state enough how good of a QB I think that Jack Cohn is. Good guy, good leader. I think that I personally would still want to see him carry out the rest of the year, but it's not wrong in any capacity to not be excited about Tyler Buckner, right? He he brings the juice. He's 6'2", 215 pounds. He's got a, a pretty damn good arm that's only going to get better year after year as he continues to physically develop. He's going to start seeing the field a little bit more and adjusting to the speed of the game. Again, remember, this kid did not have a senior year, and he blew out his ACL in his junior year midway through. Um, you know, So that he's, he's going on about 20 months of not seeing – and a, you know football action, and then stepping on campus as a true freshman, and he's performing the way he is. So, is Tyler Buckner exciting? Absolutely. There's there's so much to like about Buckner. He's unbelievable. Uh, again, he is the future. Uh, but I, I just think that it, it would be the prudent and wise decision to see you know where Cone can take this team as as we head into you know, uh, you know the postseason you know, pre- pretty shortly here. And then Tyler's going to take the reins and we're going to have him at the very least for his junior and senior season. I'm sorry, his sophomore and junior year uh, seasons, potentially longer, who knows, uh, and, and just enjoy the ride. And, and we have more QB prospects coming down the road. You know, you think Dante Moore is a big target in 2023. We have 2024 guys that have already gotten offers. Steve Angeli is a uh, he's a 2022 commit. Yeah, at quarterback from New Jersey, and and he's gone from middling three star to pretty pretty solidified four star. Right, this is a guy that is is going to be promising in his own right. So don't write him off. So uh, yeah, I mean the, the the quarterback position, the offense, the team in general is it's all exciting. Especially to kind of harp on your point, and and I'll turn it back over to you. But on Logan Diggs's uh, run 
to close out the game, the final touchdown of the game, there were five true freshmen on the field. There was Dion Colsey. There was, um, oh my God. You're stepping on my toes, Steve. Yeah, I'm sorry. There, there was uh, Lorenzo Styles, obviously Diggs, the true freshman. There Joe was, Alt on the line. There was Joe Alt. There was Tyler Buckner. Oh, th- so there were six because also Mitchell, the the, um, the, tight, the end. tight end. Yep, yeah, exactly. So you know you have six true freshmen punch the ball in to to close out the game, and and, and that gives you that juice that that really gets you excited about the future. So, uh, I mean that's that's kind of where we stand. I'm going to be a little bit more prudent and say let's let's let Jack play out his time. But any thoughts that you have, let's hear them. Yeah, a few things. Here are Jack's, and we're talking about accuracy here because some people on Twitter thought he's not very accurate. Here are his last five performances. Um, Cincinnati, he threw 63%. Virginia Tech, he threw 75%. USC, he threw 71%. UNC, he threw 66.7%. Navy, he threw 79%. Um, His accuracy has gotten better over the seasons. Um, It's not all against bad defenses. He threw... Um, very well against Cincinnati, even though it wasn't the best game. He uh, he was accurate. He's got skills. To your point, he's going to be the quarterback, and he should be the quarterback. I just get more excited when Tyler Buckner's in because it feels like the offense can be explored more if they let him, if they let him throw the ball. I, I just want to see Tyler Buckner run the full offense at some point, and that'll probably be at Ohio State Stadium next year. Um, but there's there's a lot there to like. Here's what I wanted to ask you, or here's what I'm about to bring up. How about Lorenzo Styles and Dion Colsey? Oh, baby. What a breakout performance these guys have had in the last few weeks. Freshman wide receiver. That's all we've been hearing lately is how we have not had wide receiver talent in bunches. We have talent, but never as much as uh, we've wanted. Well, you got two good young freshmen right there, I tell you. Um, Colsey had a great big play in the game. Styles was running all over the place, and Styles has really been picking it up lately. Steve, what are your thoughts on the production we're getting? Because one thing the Brian Kelly criticizers have always said is that there's not enough freshman playing time, right? Jordan Johnson didn't get enough playing time, so he left, according to some. And he's um, also gotten zero playing time this year at... Um... Sorry, uh, well, UCF. So you know, and that might not be why he left. That's just what people were saying, right? People yeah. infer that Kelly and them they don't play enough freshmen. Well, Sorry. look at the offensive contributors right now. You have Tyler Buckner as a key part of your game plan. You are utilizing two freshman receivers, one of whom I think has maybe replaced Braden Lindsay in terms of uh, who I'd rather have the ball thrown to. Um, you have tight ends getting involved. You have offensive linemen getting involved. What are your thoughts on the freshman production and in particular Styles and Colsey? Oh my god. I mean, they and and they're going to get their work cut out for them. Um you know, because with the injury to Avery Davis, the scholarship wide receivers that are healthy remaining on this roster are Kevin and Austin and Braden Lindsay, both true seniors. Uh and they they both can come back next year if they want to. Um and then f- other than that, you have your three true true freshmen for this year. It's Jaden Thomas, Deion Colsey, and uh, and Lorenzo Styles. Uh, we haven't seen JT yet, but at this point, he's going to make his way into the onto the field in the next couple of games because they don't really have a choice. Uh, because other than that, they're going to Matt Salerno, who's a walk on. He's a redshirted junior. These two guys. I mean, Deion Colsey. He, uh, first off, the pass from Jack Cohn over the middle was an absolute rocket, and it was dead on the numbers, uh, but Colsey 
being you know a six four you know, baller. He just makes it look effortless. He's almost like a, he, he just looks and feels like he's like a like a Julio Jones type guy. You know, it feels like he can really just be a, a matchup to start exploiting, especially if you get him out on the edges. You can and, and if Jack can get those passes out there, he could be an absolute weapon. And then you know, on, on the other side, you have you know. Lorenzo and and it just feels like every time he touches the ball it's a massive game right his EPA is off the charts I mean he's he's just been an absolute spark plug whether it's a screen pass where he's taken at 25 35 yards downfield or um, anytime he touches the ball basically in the middle of the field it feels like he's he's a, a risk to, to kind of break it out so it's been impressive it, it does take these wide receivers uh, quite some time to kind of learn the the route tree to you know to get you know the sync and the timing up with the QB and and just kind of learn uh, the game and and they've done so so impressively up to this point and I think obviously they're only going to get better so uh, this this could be a, a real turning point and you know with, with the program and I, I think this is also a message to you know recruits think you know like Carnell Tate the top wide receiver recruit you know Jalen Brown top wide receiver recruit um, if if you're good. And if the team needs you, you're getting your number called. Next man up mentality. Uh, and and I think if, if Kelly's ready to embrace that, it's not only going to be more successful by bringing on athletes onto the field, but you're also going to bring more athletes into the program inherently that are going to be getting an earlier shot. Yeah, you know, you touched on it a bit there. Avery Davis, obviously, out for the season. That hurts a lot because uh, he is your kind of your only slot receiver because the backup, Lawrence Keyes, entered the transfer portal this season. Um, so you don't really have a natural slot guy. You said Matt Salerno, but again, he's a, a walk-on player. Probably not your ideal slot starting receiver. I think Styles can be that guy. I think Styles has the play flexibility to be your field receiver like he's been at times and to be lining up in the slot. Um, so I would be pretty excited to see Styles get more game time. Uh, there's a lot you can design there too. I think Lindsay could be even more useful in the slot than he's been. Um, you can go with Chris Tyree in the slot. You can go Michael Mayer um, playing more off the line and more in a receiver position. There's a lot you can do, um, but there is going to create opportunities there for for Styles uh, because I think really he's the only guy who could. I mean, everyone could probably play slot, but he's the only guy that you would naturally look at as somebody who could play the slot on this team. Um, and and I think with Davis going down, a very underrated player, um, they're they're going to need to make up that production somewhere, and and that's an opportunity. That helps them in recruiting, like you said. It helps them on the field because you're getting good play. You're not just putting them in for the sake of playing them. I mean, Styles has been genuinely pretty good. Um, yeah, it's it's exciting. And with Buckner getting reps, you know, I see people saying we need to playing Cone doesn't help us long term. And it's like, well, long term is three more games. I don't know what you're. <laughs> he's not here for much longer, and it's not like uh, Buckner hasn't been prepared. Like yeah. Buckner's played in almost every game this year. It, it, you don't need him to be starting now for him to be ready next spring. You know, having yeah. the game time he has is way more than we expected. We we thought he wouldn't play at all other than maybe some specialty red zone packages. So, you know, Buckner has been getting his game time and he's looked good when, when playing because defenses do not know how to play him. The RPOs as he gets better vision and gets a better sense of the college game he's only going to get better at them uh and you can see 
when it's an RPO, he can take that and run the distance. Um, And also, you could turn those RPOs into essentially play-action passes, right? You could could run the RPO not with your first read being uh, for the running back or yourself uh, to pull or to give, but to give or to throw. You know what I mean? There's that option uh, with the with the with the essentially a play action RPO. Um, there's a lot the offense could really turn into that we need to see um, that Buckner can provide. So you're getting him in there now is the best thing possible, and it's only going to get more exciting and better for him, I think, as we go along. Yeah, yeah exactly correct. Yeah, he did have that RPO where he moves outside. You know guy was covered his, his pitch or, or bailout you know pass was covered but he did pump fake regardless and yeah it's only navy and they're not the greatest athletes there i get it but you know the the fact that tyler has the wherewithal to, to make that play and then to finish it right it's like great players make great plays i don't care about who the competition is so so yeah tyler's exciting all the true freshmen are exciting it's it's an exciting time in south bend and i know we kind of have a, a little bit more of a low energy uh, <laughs> uh feel to this particular episode you know but it, there you you truly have to appreciate where where we've come as a program and where we're heading. And I think we're heading only in positive directions. So, um, I mean, that, that's kind of closing out all my thoughts at, at, you know, on Navy. You know, we, there's all the thoughts that we could have on Navy we could share in 30 seconds. And I think mm-hmm. we all have the same exact thoughts. So we can just kind of breeze past that. And then in regards to, you know, the, the freshman ilk, love them all. And, and it's very exciting. Let, let's talk playoff committee. You know, you said low energy, so now I feel it's incumbent upon me to now boost up the energy. Stop <laughs> being go. so monotone, Steve. Let's go. All right. Um, committee rankings came out. Uh, the disrespect to Cincinnati is disgusting. Um, I think the criticism against the G5 the last two years have been, well, you don't play anyone good. Well, they played Notre Dame on the road and were the first team in four years to beat them. I don't know what more you need. I don't care that the rest of their schedule isn't good. It's not that their schedule was necessarily bad. It's that you don't know how they would have done against a good team. Well, now you know. They beat a good team. They beat a top five team in college football. They should be ranked. Now, people noticed Michigan ranked ahead of Notre Dame. If you buy the committee's logic that Michigan State is ahead of Cincinnati, then sure, you would rank Michigan ahead of Notre Dame. That's not a concern. Uh, The concern there is the committee's decision to not rank Cincinnati ahead of Michigan State. Um, and therefore you would have Notre Dame over Michigan. That stuff's going to play play itself out, so don't don't worry too much about it. But I do wonder if that spells doom for Notre Dame's playoff chances. Um, and then ancillary to that, does the path in, which we thought required Cincinnati winning out and taking that spot, does that mean less now? And would, would you rather see Cincinnati lose? Because if Cincinnati's not helping you, because they're not really helping Notre Dame right now, Notre Dame's ranked... The, the Cincinnati loss didn't keep them 10. They're 10 because they're only one loss. You know what I mean? Um, so maybe it's easier if Cincinnati drops a game or two. Sure, that makes your loss look worse, but you eliminate a team. Um, but I I don't know. I think this committee has – I didn't like the rankings at all. I do like that they had Oregon ahead of Ohio State. I think that was the only justified one you could have. Um, or the only justified, I think, approach to, the, to, to that ranking is head-to-head. Um, but I don't know how Alabama's two. Um, I don't know how Cincinnati is six. Um, so we're going to see. We're going to see where it goes. But I want to ask you, do you think the committee ranking Cincinnati so low? And to be fair, Cincinnati can still get in because so, there's going to be teams that lose ahead of them. But Cincinnati not being respected so early 
hurts Notre Dame because it means Notre Dame is not going to benefit off Cincinnati's coattails because Cincinnati, if Cincinnati gets in, it's because other teams have lost, not because Cincinnati's resume is so great, thereby improving Notre Dame's resume. So we kind of lost that connection. So what I'm going to ask you is, do you think our playoff hopes are essentially dead now? Um, And is that a bad thing? I think that they are on ice. If I were to put a percentage chance behind, you know, what, what chips need to fall and, and we've been over them, but again, it's just a, a two loss, you know, champion in, the, in, 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 well, Alabama. Yes. And then you have to have a two loss, uh, pack 12, big 10 and, or uh, big 12 champion. Right. So that's, it's going to play out one way or another. Um, is mightily disrespectful to Cincinnati. Uh, it, and I would say right now we're probably at about a 10 to 15% chance to make the playoff. Uh, again, I will contend that it's it, given this year, given that number four seed and what it means, what you're going to have to play is the number one seed. I am quite all right. I don't want that smoke. You know, I, I, I want to, I want to get the, uh, the big game, you know, win off the narrative, just kind of, fire it into the sun and just get this shit over with. So that way we can focus on you know, going next year to Columbus, kicking the crap out of them and, and then just kind of getting on with our season and our national championship run. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, it does suck though. It, I'm not going to lie because I, it, it, I want to come in right at number five. I'd love to come in as the number five team in the nation. And I don't know if, if that's going to happen. Right, because I, I just feel like there's still going to be so much more respect given to these these programs that just have not played as good. I mean, Alabama won by what six points against LSU, who's four and five, and they're still going to be ranked number two. You just know it. It's just like, what are we doing here, man? Like, it's, so it's so frustrating. And I'm sorry, I let you go. Let let me let me explain to you a new fear I have, a new anxiety for Notre Dame fan. <laughs> Um, I'm worried we're going to get Alabama in a bowl game. Ugh. And in that case, I'd rather play Georgia in a playoff game because at least the playoff game means something. It, I think the appeal of not playing in the playoff, even though I would always pretty much rather be in the playoff, I will consider hard the Georgia question. Um, but the reason you wouldn't want to be in the playoff or at least a takeaway, a benefit of not being in the playoff is you could finally end that stupid statistic of how Notre Dame hasn't won a major, you know, New York six bowl game, New York six. I love how I say that. Sorry. <laughs> new, new Year's six bowl game. Um, and you'd like to shed that, but that only works if the new Year's six bowl team you're playing is coastal Carolina or Penn state or Michigan or Michigan state or Oregon. Iowa. Iowa. It does not work if that team is going to be Ohio State or Alabama, which the one year Notre Dame did get a, you know, New Year's six bowl game was Ohio State. And just luck of the draw, that was the one team we couldn't beat that year. I mean, Uh, that, that was literally, if you look back at the 2015 Ohio State roster, I'm pretty sure about 40% of their team is still currently playing in the NFL. Like that is one of the greatest teams ever assembled on paper. They were, yeah, they were a very good team. Um, so that's my concern is if we're like, I don't want a bowl game. If we're going to lose that bowl game, I'd rather lose the playoff game. So, you know, keep, keep that in mind too, when you're, when you're thinking about this stuff, but 
I think Notre Dame and Michigan are circling each other. I think Penn State's loss, I think Penn State-Notre Dame was going to happen more, like it was more likely to happen. But with Penn State losing to whatever random team they lost to, I think it was Illinois, um, That I, I think Michigan might be the team. Because if, assuming either, you know, Ohio State or Sparty kind of come out of that division and win the, the conference, mm-hmm. um. A ten and two Michigan will probably go to a New Year's Six bowl, as will an eleven and one Notre Dame. That could work, right? That that that's possible. That's yeah. on the that's in the cards. And just to interject quickly, just to kind of set the stage of of the seeding and the matchups and, and everything, um, you did instill some some terror in me with bringing up Alabama. As of right now, that's not looking likely. Um, now I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just the way that the chips fall. But it's not looking likely. I think because because the Sugar Bowl is the the SEC versus the Big Twelve, and then the Rose Bowl is obviously the Big Ten and the Pac twelve. Well, is so, the Sugar Bowl being played this year, or is that the playoff game because they rotate between them? The, the Sugar. Uh, so the playoff games this year are the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. So the Sugar okay. Bowl right now, the projections would be Oklahoma State versus Alabama. But what happens if Georgia wins the SEC? Alabama is number two. Do they automatically go to Alabama, or does it become an at-large bowl? Yeah, that that's the the inherent question at hand. Right now, it's still projected to be. You know, I'm just kind of reading some some projections off CBS, uh, and it's still you know Bama and Oklahoma State. So that's why I, I mean I don't want to say 100. percent You know, they're yeah, going to yeah. be relegated to that game. I I'm feeling better about the odds that you know these these bowls for better or for worse or whatever your opinion may be do tend to try to keep their uh, their you know conference alignment uh, intact, so that would be like kind of the only mm-hmm. saving grace that we have right now. We're projected. Is it be- Fiesta Bowl? Is it the Fiesta Bowl? Yeah, we are. We are projected yeah. in the Fiesta Bowl against Pittsburgh, and I don't think that's going to play out. I think we're going to get another team. Um, but it is starting to look like the Fiesta Bowl might be the bowl for Notre Dame, just because the Fiesta Bowl historically has an at-large spot. Correct. Um. Whereas the Cotton Bowl, to me, might have an at-large spot, and we have a tie-in with the Orange Bowl. So we're a little unlucky this year that those two are the playoff games. Like we were unlucky the year we went 10-2, um, and two because mostly a 10-2 and two team would get into that one of those bowl games. But in that year, the Big Ten had so many 10-2 and two teams, so Notre Dame lost out on the, the bowl priorities. So I'm a little concerned there, but it seems to me that the Fiesta Bowl and Notre Dame, especially if we're 11-1, and one, is going to be destiny. The question is who? in in that game um so we could end up with a fairly like an iowa state remember remember that bowl game so imagine that but just a bowl that mattered that (laughs) would be ideal um assuming of course we're not in the playoff and it just it doesn't look like it's going to be that case there is sufficient chaos happening in the big 10 for the theory to play out but just the way Cincinnati was disrespected to me, barring like a Wisconsin wins the Big Ten, I think Notre Dame is down to a percentage chance, like a yeah. 1%, I think, very unlikely. Um, not to get hopes down, but it's also something to look forward to. And like you said, you win that bowl game, you end that stupid long-term statistic there of how long it's been. But also, you go into season 2022 on a high and you need to be at your best because your first game of the year is at Ohio state. So if winning a big bowl game kind of sets that stage, I'm all for it. Yeah. 
I, I wholeheartedly agree. And and that's kind of the position I've been in. And, 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 and to be clear, if Georgia wasn't Georgia this year, right, if they were just like traditional Georgia where, you know, we, we had those two games back in, what, 17 and 19 where both games were one-score games, then, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll play them in a playoff game. And, you know, if they're an SEC school, they're a powerhouse, they have a bunch of five-star recruits, they'll still probably beat us. Uh, but at the very least, we're going to fight. Not this year. Not this year. I mean, the, the, we we just you know we're we are in an in between year. They are kind of riding the the high of, you know, kind of all their chips falling into place at once. And that's a lot of what college football is at this point. Is uh, and and actually historically, you'll look at some great teams and some fantastic programs that that have fallen short in, in specific years. Uh, and and that's because they've just you know they've just the lulls and in between of your recruiting classes and great teams find a way to mitigate against those, you know, think Alabama, but then you, you know, you have LSU that has won two times since, you know, they won their, their BCS bowl in what, 2001. And then they just won back in 2019. But then in between that, they were trash uh, or bling at best. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the way that it is. And, and right now as we are down, but still ascending while Georgia is at their peak, uh, I, I'm I'm all set with that, so that's why I, I I think we're still a top seven program in the nation. I think we're on, we're probably better than OU and Oregon, so I think we're we're probably the number five team in the nation talent wise. So I'm not afraid of any team outside of Alabama or Georgia, and and I've I've kind of stayed uh, you know pretty consistent in that view, and and that's where I am heading into in the, in the mindset of of this postseason. Yeah, I don't think that's wrong. Um, and I think having that chip on your shoulder of being overlooked by the committee, even if it's deservingly so, we can build that narrative of oh, we were snob. We were, yeah, yeah, let's we were, bang the drum. We'll we'll beat that drum. And, and and look, the talent's there next year, too. A lot of that defense is coming back, we think. There is a huge class coming in. You are going to have potentially a big step with Buckner. Um, that'll be obviously key for next year. There's a lot going. So, you know, if we don't make the playoff, it's not the biggest deal in the world. I would still rather be in the playoff. But I'll take a bowl win over Pitt. Would you? 100%. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would prefer, you know, if, if we're going to pick and choose you know, anywhere from you know, Michigan, Michigan State, even Oklahoma State, you know, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, uh, those would all be fun. I have no interest in, in playing Wake Forest in that game because you know we're if we play Wake Forest, we're gonna win by two touchdowns, right? And uh, I'm, Wake Forest more. is good. No, we're gonna if we play Wake Forest, I'm, we're not gonna win by two touchdowns. We're gonna win by four touchdowns. I'm not afraid of Wake Forest. Like I, I want a good game. I want a game that's like a ten point or less spread. Uh, and I think that we are ten points or better than just about every other team. Again, other than. I think uh, Ohio State, it's they're probably about a 55-45 you know, win split. Um, Bama, I think, probably gets an 80-20. Everybody else, I think we're favored you know, 60-40 the rest of the way. So, I think Michigan's a good game. I, I thought that would be a blowout, but the more I think I've watched Michigan, yes, they're overrated, but Cade McNamara is having a good season, mm-hmm. and Michigan has a surprisingly good offensive line. I think that would be a closer game than I'd want to admit. So not that I want to avoid Michigan, but I really want to win that bowl game. If we're that not, if we're if we're getting a New Year's Six bowl game, and we're not in the playoff, I want to win it. So just give me the easiest winning opponent. Let's get that off our 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 checklist of things to do. 
<laughs> and then they'll then focus on winning the national championship here in the next three years because the building blocks are there. Oh, it's there. It's coming. Like I will, I will throw down whatever. I don't know. Whatever I have to do is, is my stamp of approval. Book it now. It's happening. All right. Spontaneous question for you in the audience. You, you tweet us your answers um, at home. Coach Kelly retires the end of the season. Within five seconds, you have to tell me who your number one choice for replacement Marcus is. Freeman. Okay, it still is. That's what I wanted to check. It is for me as well. I have a feeling a lot of Notre Dame fans expected more um, and are, for whatever reason, disappointed. But for me, that hasn't changed. I think Marcus Freeman is absolutely the man to take over this program. I would absolutely kill for Joe Brady the former quarterbacks coach at LSU, who was really kind of the architect of that offense and that amazing national championship team. I would love to have him involved in the program. Um, Maybe he's, maybe that's a head coach. You know, if it's not Freeman, then I'd go Brady. Um, I'm not unseating Tommy Reese at all, but you know, it'd be great to have him be an OC. Um, Just somebody of that caliber, because it's the offense that we need to take that next step. And I think he would be the guy to do it, especially with Buckner. Um, if he if he did that with Joe Burrow, imagine what he could do with Tyler Buckner. So, yeah, that's that. I'm glad we're on board there, but I'm interested to see what you guys at home think. Uh, so just tweet us at Horseman Pod um, what your answer is. And if you're listening to this, thank you for listening. Uh, and I hope you consider supporting this podcast. Um, we all have full time gigs doing our own thing. So to help sustain the quality and the content that comes out. Uh, consider making a monthly contribution. Uh, you can find that in the description of this tweet below, or, or sorry, in this podcast below, or you could find it on our pinned tweet at Horseman Pod. It's basically anchor.fm slash Horseman Pod support, um, and you can make a contribution. It would be greatly appreciated. Um, but let's let's head into something else, Steve. Um, can I give you a really quick update on something? Give me a really quick update on something, or a long update, actually. We're not really in a rush. Uh, Chase Claypool had a really awesome catch for 26 yards, a big first down to help set up a touchdown drive. Awesome. Love Chase Claypool. (laughs) You guys know my opinion on talented Canadians who make it into markets they're not supposed to make it into. So, (laughs) you know, it's, well, you know, it's like, like in hockey, right? Like it's not a big deal when a Canadian's doing great in hockey because they're like 50% of the NHL. But like in the NFL, you get a Canadian who's really doing well and it, you know, it jacks you up because we're not in the NFL that much. And to have somebody kind of show out like Chase Claypool, it's uh, I mean, it's been a thrill to watch his career develop um, as a fellow countryman. So don't even get me going on a chase rant. Sorry. I just had to interject there, but uh, not onto the next topic. I, what do you want to talk about, Steve? Let's, let's give the audience something new. Oh man. Okay. Um, Let's talk about the running back room for 2023. Sure. I need to, I need to say Logan Diggs is a lot better than I thought he was. Um, I thought Audric Estime was going to be that guy from that class. And I would still like to see him more. He should be the fullback on every goal line run. Like he should just be the guy. Um, But Diggs seems to be the one they want. He seems like an all, all around back more so like Kyron Williams, not that he's Kyron Williams, but you see a little bit of that in his game. Uh, big fan of his, as long as the offensive line can give him a push, he's going to do great things at Notre Dame. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so we're looking at Chris Tyree heading into his true junior season. Uh, he is going to be draft eligible. So, you know, that Tyree is going to want to put on, you know, the performance of a lifetime because, you know, true freshman, he, he had his spots this year. We were really hoping for him to break out. You know, he's, 
he's kind of you know got some turf tail going on right now so he's he's missed out logan diggs has stepped up he's been the man so you have an absolute speedster upperclassman in tyree who is going to be uh, he's going to get probably the lion's share of uh, of your carries you're going to have Diggs, who dances around the line of scrimmage and waits for holes to open like Le'Veon Bell. Uh, and as, again, I'm a Steelers fan, so I, you know, I, I have such an appreciation for that and that running style. Um, so it's it's really cool and unique to see. And then you have Audric Estime, who is an actual human bowling ball. Uh, it, it's so exciting to think that you're going to have your offensive line another year older, another year stronger, another offseason to build and get better. Right, because this was obviously one of those lows that we were talking about with recruiting, and how you know it builds back up, and and you go through your peaks and valleys. Where we're on the ascension next year with the offensive line, we have that running back room plus Tyler Buckner, who is going to present the the ability to kind of spread the field a little bit more, keep the you know have the keeper. So if he has the the talent to to keep that ball and run off with it, you're going to freeze that defensive end uh, coming off the the weak side. on on any sort of rush. And that's, again, just going to help open up holes a little by little for this running back room. So that's something I wanted to to address is like, and then obviously you think on the outside, you have Colsey and and you have JT and you have all these other, you know, absurd talents at wide receiver. This offense next year might legitimately look like an Oklahoma offense. Like, is there, am I getting out ahead of myself? What am I, am I? Yeah. Let me, let me reel you in. I don't disagree with you, but the biggest helper of how the running backs are going to play is the offensive line. Like we, we said this in the preseason that our running backs group on paper got better this year because Kyron Williams is a year older and Chris Tyree is a year older. Production's been down from both of them because the offensive line has been absolutely garbage for most of the year. Um, so that's the biggest thing. If you tell me we have a, a, a Notre Dame offensive line next year, yeah, we're going to be a great fucking offense, I tell you. Um, if it's a struggle again, then I'm a little worried about how we're going to get that run game going, other than Tyler Buckner just is the guy who keeps everybody on their toes. Um, I will say we expect Kyron Williams to declare for the draft, but I wouldn't guarantee that he's gone. And the reason I say that is production as a whole for him, we know we know how good he is, we know he's gotten better, but production has dipped for him just generally. Um, and there is a lot of talented backs that will probably be going to the draft. So there is an outside chance, Kyron being the leader that he is and the character that he is, maybe he's here next year. Um, I'm not I'm not even saying that's a the, the likely chance. I think that is a slim chance. But don't count it out entirely. If it happens, I'd be a little surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I, I actually uh, agree a lot. Uh, I, I would prefer to see Kyren go, believe it or not, um, just because I want to see those younger backs have some more time. And, and I think it's it, Kyren is absolutely NFL ready. Uh, and, and when I, you know, I, I'd never want a guy to, to you know, have to choose between looking at an NFL paycheck and, and everything, right? You know, go get your money. Go, you know, this. Especially as a running back. You don't exactly. last long in the league as a running back these days. You, It's cheaper, younger running backs. Go get your money. Yeah, you've got five to seven years if you're lucky. So especially as a running back, get get into the league while you're 21 rather than 22, 23. Um, so re- regardless of whatever decision he makes, I mean, there's um, – I 
I, I'm born on June 23rd, right? So, so the number 23 is my number, not just like a Michael Jordan thing. That's, but the, the, that's kind of the reasoning behind it. So, Kyron is my favorite number. He, his style of play is is exactly how I would play if if I, right, if I had any modicum of of athletic talent or ability like him. Like, right, he's he's absolutely fantastic. But you know, he's he. He's a five-tool player. Picks up the pass rush, runs hard, but he's he's impossible to take down. Great balance, great stiff arm. He's a pa- he can run routes. He can catch the ball. I mean, he he can do it all. He's Booby Miles, and he can pass. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that 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 running back room for next year is it's going to be an absolute stable uh, of of horsemen. But um, and another thing that you actually did bring up, and I wanted to. Uh, as I'll let you kind of transition to the next topic in a minute here, but I did want to give a shout out. You, you did, did bring up character. Uh, what guy is showing his character more over the past four years than Avery Davis? Right. This yep. is a guy that he was a, he was a dual threat quarterback, right? Uh, came, signed, came in here. He moved to defensive back. He moved to running back. And then finally, he, he moved over to wide receiver. He's had three position changes. He's redshirted. He's a, what, a redshirted junior, so a, a true senior in the classroom. Uh, Brian Kelly has already said you know, he, he absolutely has an invite to return to the program next year as a, you know, as a what, redshirted senior, if he would like to. So that would be his graduate year. So, you know, I mean, he's he's just stepped up every step of the way, and especially last year, that was really his emergence. And, mm-hmm. and this year, uh, especially, you think that Clemson game. How close well, I was going to say, I was going to say, I, I I was hoping you weren't going to say it because I wanted to jump Sorry. in Sorry. and say maybe the biggest catch in program history in the last twenty years. Like okay. I don't know if there's been a bigger play in Notre Dame twenty first century history than Avery Davis catching that ball that deep ball and taking it to near the goal line yeah you'd be hard pressed maybe the tyler eifert play against stanford be just because that preserved a perfect season but i don't know i mean it's definitely in the top three but i think there's definitely an argument for the number one play yeah i mean let's 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 go on this tangent for a second because we're we're doing off the cuff let's go yeah i mean this is an in-between week so we're just we're just talking football let's go yeah no disrespect to navy or virginia but you know um, the disrespect. Um, okay, here here are the top catches I can think of off the top of my head. Miles Boykin, LSU. I would argue, though, that was kind of a mid-tier bowl game, so did it really matter? Mm-hmm. Uh, you brought up Eifert. That's a great one. Uh, you could argue the Golson to, I think it was Nicholas play in 2014, Stanford, that that fourth and and eleven from the thirty. You know which one I'm referring to. Um, it was one of yeah. the yeah yeah one of um, the craziest catches. Was it? I think it was Ben Koyak. Yeah, you know what? You're right. It was Ben Koyak. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, that was. Uh, it might have even been fourth down, and he just got him in the corner. Yeah, that was yeah, his... it was, yeah, yeah. It was like fourth and eleven, and he, he threw a thirty yard pass with the game on the line in like twenty seconds, and hit him in the end zone. Uh, speaking uh, of, you know. Speaking of game-winning pass, basically at the buzzer, um, and Virginia, Will Fuller from Deshaun Kaiser. I was going to say Fuller against USC. Uh, USC first, yeah. first throw of the game. Um, I, I'm trying to think of some. Uh, Chase Claypool's had more iconic catches than I could count. 
um, that want to get want to go way back then. Alive. Yep, Georgia was unbelievable. I mean, it's oh my god, because that was when he was like parallel to the ground and out of bounds, like his body was, but he kept his feet, and that was incredible. Equiminius St. Brown against Texas had a really nice one. Uh, he was one of my favorites. Uh, Michael Floyd, my all-time favorite. Mm-hmm. He had a, he had a million. I mean, he was incredible. And then obviously Golden Tate as well. Tate's great. Um, what about Chris Brown in the Oklahoma game? That's. That's- 2012 that's that bomb over the top mm-hmm. really really kind of blew that game open yeah there's some great ones but you know what i think i stand by it i think avery davis has the the, the most important catch in 21st century notre dame history uh, because that was the upset in one of the greatest games ever played uh 100%. and that was the play that put us there um I, yeah, I get goosebumps thinking about that game to this date. And no, I don't care we lost the rematch. All that matters. And on that night, we upset the number one team in the country in, like, triple overtime. It will yep. last forever. And oh, it doesn't matter Lawrence was gone. DJ threw better than Lawrence probably would have because his EPA per pass was, like, ungodly. It didn't even make sense how he was playing that well. Yep. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what tangent were we on? Uh, we were we have been all over the place. We just went from the running back room to just praise of Avery Davis as a person and as a character. And obviously, there's there's tons to to praise in regards to his football acumen and how well he's developed. And I think he's a legitimate NFL starter uh, in the slot in the future. So pray for his recovery. We went over the the big time catches and and obviously that again that's that's where Avery Davis kind of transitioned into. Any any other thoughts that you had or any other thought exercises? I do. I do. Michael Mayer, he's only two seasons into his career. It feels like he's just scratching the surface of what he can do. After only, you know, a season and a half, really. Where do you rank him? Notre Dame tight ends. Uh, I think and number- again, he's only he's only had two years. Like we're not this isn't the end of his career here. We're just talking halfway through. How do you kind of stack them? I did just spend my past weekend in Covington, Kentucky. Um, and drove by Covington Catholic on the way to my hotel. So I do feel a deep personal uh, connection with Michael Mayer and his entire family. I feel like he's honestly one of my best friends at this point. <laughs> and no, but uh, I think Mayer right now, uh, who would be better? I think right now the only two guys career-wise, I'm not talking talent, talking Notre Dame career, the the two, uh, the only two guys that I think are better than him right now are Kyle Rudolph and uh, and Hi- Tyler Eifert. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think when it comes to pure talent and skill, Tyler Eifert is still yet to be topped. I think M- Michael Mayer next year is is going to ultimately prove that he is that dude. I mean, he's an absolute freak. So I I think by the time his career is ended, he will be considered not only the the most talented and you know, in terms of his, his football talent, but also yeah, the most accolades and, and kind of you know the statistics and the whole nine. Okay, I disagree slightly there. I think at this point I'd rank him third as well because his second year was better than Cole Komet's third second year. But I would say Cole Komet obviously in his entire career had accomplished more. I think Mayer passes him next year. Mm-hmm. And I think he might pass Kyle Rudolph because I think as great as Kyle Rudolph was, was he, he's he was better in the NFL. Like he was a great college tight end, but like Kyle Rudolph was one of the best tight ends in the NFL for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think anyone's going to top Tyler Eifert. 
I think maybe that's just my bias because he was the tight end when I was at my like most important and influential years as a fan. Mm-hmm. That's Michael, that's Michael Floyd for me. So I I have uh, I can resonate right. with this. So I for me I think I'd say Eifert is untouchable. Uh, just especially pure talent. Like that guy was unbelievable to watch. Um, but Mayor, man, I don't want to count anything out. This Mayor kid is really really good, and he's probably going to leave after three instead of four. So you got to consider that as well. But boy, what a good what a good group to have for next year, right? If you if you're talking about it's going to be an inexperienced starting quarterback at Ohio State. To have that security blanket, Michael Mayer, oh. that's that's huge. And yeah. he is coming back, right? He's only in his second year. So you're going to have that. You're going to have a good rapport with Styles and Colsey. Avery Davis might be back. I wouldn't discount one of our Austin or Lindsey coming back. You're going to have the incoming class with Merriweather and um, CJ. CJ Williams in it. Lots to get excited about. I know we. it feels like we keep going back to the first game next year. I swear we still have a season's worth to go through. We're, uh, <laughs> we're not looking too far ahead. Um, okay, any other thought experiments? Do you have anything, or do you want to talk about VUVA? Um, you know what? Let's, I was going to talk about the incoming linebackers, but I do want to save uh, talking more so about recruiting in the future for basically as we get into bowl season when we have a couple of weeks uh, in, in between um, you know, our, our final game of the season and, and our New Year's Six Bowl. So let's save that for December. Sure, sure. But how about you let our audience know what happened in linebacker recruiting just to give them a preview of what's got you so excited? Oh, of course. Let me just pull it up right here. I want to just get the actual number of statistics, kind of the whole nine here. So one moment. Perfect. Here we are. Yep. So Drake Bowen, he is currently the number one recruit out of the state of Indiana. So he's staying at home. He obviously recruited uh, got recruited by and committed to Notre Dame. He's the number two linebacker in the country, ranked number 28 overall. His rating is a 0.9868. I believe, I believe, and and I don't have my spreadsheet on me. I'm not currently at my normal computer. I believe that Drake Bowen is now officially rated the third or fourth highest linebacker commit in Notre Dame history. And this is coming after, you know, like Jalen Smith uh, and, and that ilk. So, uh, tons of upside, 6'2", 215 pounds out of Merrillville, Indiana. Uh, Five-star kid, five and star. also 2023, so he's not coming in next year. He'll be here for the following class. So yep. that, this is a little ways down the way, but mm-hmm. that's a huge commitment for the Notre Dame program. Exactly, and he's coming in again with other, with fellow five-star Brent Vernon, who is on the defensive line. Keon Keeley is soon to be five-star. Yeah, he's a four-star at zero point nine five four four is his uh, his cumulative grade on on two four seven. But Keon Keeley, in a game against number one quarterback prospect Arch Manning, I think sacked him twice and also picked him off and i think he also forced a fumble as well like he keon keely literally just dominated him as an edge rusher this isn't a linebacker here we're talking about this is an edge rusher who picked off arch manning yeah Mm -hmm. lots of great stuff we're going to get into we will save that for december um but just to give you guys an update at home if you're not um religiously following the recruitment of high school kids uh steve's got you there um so so let's get into UVA, Virginia, the Cavaliers. Of course, last time we played them. Actually, we may have played them since, but the last time I can remember was the Deshaun Kaiser miracle touchdown. Um, yeah, we, we've we probably beat them, played them uh, since. 
I'm pretty like sure it's forgettable. Beat. Yeah, exactly. I feel like Book beat them as well, but it doesn't matter. He did. Facts don't matter here. This is a propaganda <laughs> machine. Um, we're only five and a half point favorites. Does that surprise you? Does it does because uh, and, and it's not because I don't think that Virginia is going to score points and I want everyone listening now. Virginia is going to score points in this game. That is not an indictment on the defense. That is not an indictment on Marcus Freeman. Our defense is great. They're not phenomenal, but they are great. And Marcus Freeman is incredible. This is a off the charts passing offense. Brennan Vernon is coming in with, with literally double of the amount of yards and double the amount of touchdowns as Jack Cohn. He's also thrown the the ball two times as much. So literally, if Jack Cohn just threw the ball twice as much as he did, he'd have similar stats to Brennan Armstrong, right? So Brennan Armstrong is good. He puts up numbers. This offense is potent, but they just lost. What was the score? Um, they they this Virginia Cavaliers team lost to BYU just last week. I think it was like 66 to 49 or, or somewhere around there. So they gave up 66 points. Their defense is an atrocity. And who would you say is bet offense is better? BYU's offense or Notre Dame's offense? I'm going to say Notre Dame's offense is better. Or that's kind of my, you know, my, my bias here. Obviously, I'm, I'm a propagandist. And then whose defense is better, I'm obviously going to go with Notre Dame. So I, I think that five and a half is kind of a ridiculous line. I think it would be closer to 11 and a half, just given how bad the Virginia defense is. But I'm qualifying my statement by saying, everybody just have the fundamental understanding now. Virginia is probably going to score four, potentially even five touchdowns. Just get that into your mind now, but we are still going to win this game. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. It's a potent offense, but... I don't know. If if North Carolina didn't score six touchdowns and USC didn't score six touchdowns, I don't think UVA is the team to score six touchdowns on us. Granted, we are on the road, so I wouldn't be surprised to see anything in this football game. Um, I think Virginia is a team to be worried about, but a five-and-a-half-point spread does seem a bit much to me. And, you know, not to brag or not to endorse gambling. If you do, do so responsibly. But these last two weeks, I have done well with Notre Dame. Um, last week against uh, North Carolina, just money-lined them. And then this week, I parlayed Notre Dame with everything because there was no way they were losing to Navy. I think five and a half is a good line to take. Um, I think the implied odds there are a bit low. I would expect Notre Dame to win. I will pick Notre Dame to win. Um, but it's not going to be an easy game. Expect it to be a frustrating game. Um, the offense will click, but not at all times. The defense will get stops, but they will be scored on. It'll be a little bit too close to comfort, but I am not worrying about Virginia. They're they're the probably the toughest game remaining on the schedule, um, but I'm not worried about them. Yeah, I, I, I echo the sentiment. Uh, I would say I'm, I'm not worried, but I'm concerned um, just because when you have a game that projects to be potentially a shootout i'm pretty sure what's what's the over under in this game like 66 and a half or something like that right so they're they're projecting both teams to score somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 points 35 points so uh so points are going to be scored right this this is the way that this game is going to go and and you know 
a, a crazy kind of turnover as we saw in the in the Cincinnati game could make ultimately all the difference. So I, I'm concerned, but I'm not worried. That's the, the distinction I'm making there. I think that Notre Dame is still two touchdowns better at the very least, possibly more. And I'm ready to give my score prediction if uh, if you are, unless you had any closing thoughts. Nope. Um, I, I put a score down. We'll right. see. We'll see. Um, for those who may be new listening to the show, Steve and I tend to get really, really close, although I think maybe not this week. We'll see. Steve, what do you have? The Notre Dame Fighting Irish are going to score 44 points in a victory where Virginia scores 31. 44-31 Irish. Okay, that's good. Um, actual margin is similar. Um, I do see this differently. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. Not a low scoring game, just a lower scoring game. I'm going to go Notre Dame 34, Virginia 24. I think Notre Dame covers. I think it's not a perfect game, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a solid performance. It'll be one more step to an 11 and one season. And I think it'll be the biggest weight off the shoulders. Because you get Georgia Tech at home, and Georgia Tech is tight, but Notre Dame at home, we know how that goes. And then you're going to the tree to play the tree um, to end the season. And um, while Palo Alto has been miserable for Notre Dame in recent years, um, and Stanford has upset both USC and UCLA, I think they had, I think they beat UCLA. Um, they shouldn't be beating Notre Dame. So this is the last big test, I think. And even then, I don't think it's a big test. Um, but yeah, reasons for optimism. Always reasons for optimism. Have you changed at all, or are you still a negative guy? I'm, I'm, I've changed a lot. Um, there, don't worry. The darkness is still down there. I just have learned how to suppress it. Um, you know, just trying to just trying to talk things into existence, trying to talk a a national championship into into existence. It's gonna happen. I, I again, I'm guaranteeing a Notre Dame national title in the next three years. It's just not gonna be this year. But that does not mean that we don't have anything to play for. We absolutely do. Does not mean we are not a great football program. We absolutely are. Um, the Irish are going eleven and one. We're gonna win this game. And we're going to have some momentum. We're going to win on the field. We're going to win in the classroom. We're going to win on the recruiting trail because that's what the Fighting Irish do. Those are my thoughts. We're going to kick the living shit out of the woos or who's or whatever the hell they call themselves in Virginia. And uh, that's that's pretty much the closing thoughts that I have, unless there's anything else you wanted to address. Well, I'm looking forward to the day where our podcast is played in court. Um, as part of your trial for whatever future crimes you commit, because they will be certainly listening to see what made this man tick. And I will tell you now, it was Notre Dame football. Um, <laughs> no, good, good, good pod. Um, it, of course, it's great to to be with our listeners. As always, follow us at Horseman Pod on Twitter. Uh, rate and five Instagram. star review. Make sure to give a nice comment. We appreciate all the help we can get. Um, it's seasons coming quick, but um, it's it's been a fun one, uh, and let's hope this continues. Let's hope we keep seeing our uh, the team we all love win, and let's get ready for the following week. So that said, go Irish, beat Virginia, go Irish. <laughs>